Welcome to Soccer Morning on World Soccer Talk. Here's your host, Jason Davis. Good morning, everybody. Happy Thursday. Welcome to Soccer Morning right here on WorldSoccerTalk.com. Thank you for being here. It's a big, big show. It's a big, big day. It's Thursday. That means we get to review Champions League. It gets, that means we get to talk about Europa League if we feel like it. Uh, you know, maybe your team's in the Europa League, and that's a big deal to you. We got that MLS last night. CONCACAF Champions League last night. Some new new news, some new word on the Copa America 2016 saga. That's all in the news today. We'll get to that in a second. Let me just lay this out. Dave Martinez, Empire of Soccer, joining us first at 9, 10 a.m. Eastern. He'll talk to us about those two wins for the New York teams in MLS action last night. Uh, no, two wins. One win, one loss. Let me get this right. New York City FC won. New York Red Bulls did not. We'll talk about those two games. Luke Moore, world-famous football ramble, will join us as well at 9.40 a.m. Eastern. We'll go over Champions League, the Euro- the English teams and their struggles in that competition. Certainly look ahead to a, a big uh, Premier League weekend as well. All right, here you go. Here's the news. Champions League results from Europe from yesterday. Roma won. Barcelona won. Roma's Alessandro Florenzi stealing the show with an absolute bomb of a goal from uh, from half from half field. I mean, it was it, it was something else from the sideline. I don't think I've ever seen anybody score from that angle, from that far out. Uh, but Ter Stegen wandered off his line, and there it was. Meanwhile, on the other side, obviously Barcelona with uh, a lone goal to keep the draw. Rafinha, who came on as a substitute for Barcelona in that match. Suffered a knee injury and uh, may miss the rest of the season after surgery. Bayer Leverkusen 4-1 over Mate Borisov. Chicharito Hernandez getting uh, his first goal for the German side. Dynamo, Zeg- uh, Dynamo Zagreb 2-1 over Arsenal. Heaping some woe on the English clubs in the Champions League. Olivier Giroud sent off for a second yellow card. Took Arsenal down to 10 men, and they were not able to overcome that deficit. Olympiacos loses at home 3 nothing to Bayern Munich. Uh, Chelsea, 4-0 over Maccabi Tel Aviv. So Chelsea with a win. Jose Mourinho being Jose Mourinho after the match. Uh, Daniel Kiev, 2-2 with Porto. Ghent with a 1-1 draw against Lyon, despite going down to nine men in that match. Valencia losing 2-3 to Zenit St. Petersburg at home. Hulk with two goals. For the Russian club. MLS results, as I mentioned, two games. The New England Revolution beat the New York Red Bulls 2-1. Diego Fagundes, Kellen Rowe scoring for the Revolution. Nice goal for Mike Grella in a losing effort. Uh, excuse me. New England now on top of the West, or sorry, Eastern Conference with the victory. They jump over both DC United and the Red Bulls into first place. NYCFC 2-0 over Toronto FC. Frank Lampard scored his first NYCFC goal to open the scoring for the home team. Very flat TFC in that match. Uh, did not take their chances very well. Did not really even threaten a couple of bad shots off a good uh, good build-up play. So now TFC struggling a bit and looking uh, looking like the, a slide could really do some damage to their hopes of the playoffs in 2015. San Jose 1-1 with the Montreal Impact. That's notable because, again, San Jose misses an opportunity to get a home win, especially over a Montreal side that came in Missing many of their first-choice players. The impact went down to 10 men in that match. Kyle Becker scored the equalizer late in the game. His first MLS goal uh, for uh, uh, for Montreal. 
CONCACAF Champions League, Vancouver beats Olympia of Honduras 1-0 at home. Whitecaps keep their hopes of advancing on a Group F alive. Remember, this is the quote-unquote group of death in the tournament with Olympia, Seattle, and Vancouver. Caps and Sounders tied on four points at the top of the group. The Caps have a game in hand, and these two Cascadia rivals face off in the Champions League a week from yesterday, so next Wednesday after they play each other in MLS play on the weekend. W Connection shocking Saprisa 2-1 for a home win, and Club America wins 3-1 on the road at Walter Ferretti of Nicaragua. The Copa America update for 2016, the New York Times reporting Sam Borden that U.S. soccer has pulled out of the meeting set for today in Mexico City, and they have withdrawn uh, their um, desire to host the tournament. So this does not look good for the 2016 Copa America to be in the United States, and if it's not in the United States, the likelihood of the United States participating in the tournament is very slim. Hosts of Europa League action today, Ajax, Celtic, Bordeaux, Liverpool, Dortmund, Krasnodar, Napoli versus Club Bruges, Sporting Lisbon versus Lokomotiv Moscow, Spurs versus Karabag, Anderlecht versus Monaco, and that's just a small taste, it's a full schedule. Got to go check that out. Lots and lots of games today in the Europa League. And finally, reports suggest that the Football Federation Australia and the Players Union, the PFA, are closing in on a deal. If you remember, this is the labor dispute that canceled the trip for the Matildas, the women's national team of Australia. They were coming to the United States to play the U.S. women's national team as part of the victory tour. Two matches set for today and Sunday. Those matches have been uh, changed, and Haiti now is the opponent for the U.S. women's national team. Uh, there is uh, supposedly some movement on the amount of money that the U- uh, that the uh, sorry the Australian women's national team players will make. Uh, their salaries were as low as twenty one thousand Australian dollars, roughly fourteen thousand American dollars. Clearly not good enough. Uh, there's also uh, the matter of the salary cap in the A League, very much tied to television revenue there. But they will have some sort of increase, uh, regardless of what kind of. Revenue they bring in from their next television contract. Lots of expectations that the A-League's next contract could be a good one, and that will change things. You had some comments in the press recently. I recall. I can't recall who made them. I apologize. But one of the Australian officials saying that when it comes to big-name players, Australia cannot compete with MLS, and that's certainly those two, those two uh, leagues in the same realm when it comes to signing big European names. Uh, Australia would like to bring in some more, but as long as MLS can offer more money, it's going to be difficult for them to compete. They may not get there for quite some time. All right, that's a good way to start the show. When we come back, Dave Martinez, Empire of Soccer, will join us. We'll talk about the Rev, Rev, uh, sorry, the Red Bulls losing in New England and NYCFC getting a big win at home. It's Soccer Morning, WorldSoccerTalk.com. Face in the crowd, you're talking too loud. Welcome back to Soccer Morning on World Soccer Talk with Jason Davis. Here we go, Soccer Morning on a Thursday. Very happy to have our friend Dave Martinez from Empire of Soccer just growing by leaps and bounds over there covering the world of New York football, soccer, 
football with the U and a B, whatever you want to call it. Dave, how are you? <laughs> I'm very good, brother. Thank you again for having me on. It's good to have you back. All right, so the the ostensible reason for having you here is that both of the MLS New York teams were in action last night. Well, we definitely need to touch on that. Um, we, you know, there's all there's always off field stuff surrounding both of these clubs. There's always the cosmos in the mix. I, I guess what's of most interest here is probably the Red Bulls because. For a while now, they've looked like a, a real MLS Cup contender. We haven't been able to say that. You've been on various versions of Soccer Morning declaring that this is the best Red Bull team we've perhaps ever seen. And they go to New England and they lose. Now, that's not the end of the world, but they've also lost their grip on first place. They were tied with DC United. And, and I, I just wonder, is this the kind, kind of thing that can put a dent in their hopes? Or is this team built to recover? I think this team has been built to recover all year long. They're a young team. They're a quick team. We've been talking about that all season. Uh, but I think last night was a bit revealing. Uh, you know, Jesse Marsh marched out the same lineup that he had uh, this past weekend. And I understand, and we all understand right now, looking at the way the team plays, high energy, high impact, high line, um, their players are conditioned for these kind of matches. See, that's the whole idea, just having their fitness built to an extent that they could play as many games a week as possible. But at the end of the day, Jason, we're all human. Uh, to have the same lineup again just days after a fixture and not necessarily get any rest for any of their uh, of their players, I think was a mistake on Marsh's part. So in part, I'm looking at the lack of a rotation for the first time this year affecting the team. It's kind of, uh, kind of like a, in baseball, uh, a pitcher in their pitch count. You know, you don't want them to get over a little too far because you know it's going to affect the way that they play, yeah. uh, the energy that they that they exert. And I think that's what happened in New England. That's not to take credit away from New England. They're a fantastic team on an amazing run. And between them and the Red Bulls, they are really the class of the East. However, I think that definitely played into uh, into the results. Yeah, clearly, um, as you mentioned, they, they, they know... One thing Jesse Marsh knows is who his best team is, but that can be... Uh, not not a problem, but it can certainly be an an issue when these guys start to get fatigued. And, and as you said, New England on a on a pretty incredible run. It, it's going to be you know it's going to be about the playoffs. And, and really, what New York wants to avoid is slipping into third place and having to go having to play that uh, that play in round. Now, now, if they do end up in third place, they would host that game. But uh, there's a big difference. And, and if you are dealing with the same first eleven, if you're leaning on a bunch of guys and maybe they are getting fatigued, you certainly don't want to play that extra game. Absolutely not. And you look at the, the schedule coming up. I mean, Portland this weekend, it's not going to get any easier for the club. Um, at this point, as you said, third place would be the worst-case scenario because this is a club that has really built themselves to be at the, the top first or second spot of the Eastern Conference. Uh, falling to third, inviting opponents that could include Toronto, could include Montreal, uh, Orlando, <laughs> Imagine New York City FC at that spot in the headline that could make as far of a chance as that may be. Uh, New York does not want to be there. The Red Bulls do not want to be there. Uh, and it's, we're going to have to see how, again, Jesse Marsh adjusts. He hasn't really been caught in situations, Jesse Marsh, where he's had to adjust uh, after a loss. And I think that this time around, there's going to have to be some adjustments. This weekend, there has to be some players rested. Now, Dax McCarty, Connor Laid, they're out on yellow card accumulation, so they're no longer going to be there. So naturally, there's going to be a rotation. But I would look at a guy like Bradley Wright Phillips, who looked like he was just playing on fumes yesterday, to get a rest, to be able to take a, a week off and concentrate on the next match 
and not burn out so quickly into uh, into this playoff run. Now, it, you know, it's obviously not a disaster for the Red Bulls. They've won four of their last six. It just so happens that those other two games are losses, and the Red and the and the Revolution have been so hot. They've they've tracked down uh, both DC United and the Red Bulls. Red Bulls has seven games left. Um, just just you know, uh, you watched that game last night, and I was flipping around. There was. Two games going on at the same time. Uh, there was some some political stuff happening. I mean, it, it was a busy night in America last night, Dave. And I, so I, I didn't have my eyeballs on the Red Bulls the entire time. But that was uncharacteristic from Luis Robles to give up that first goal. Um, and, and that kind of set the tone. And, and ultimately, even with Mike Grella, fantastic goal, they still end up losing again on the road against a hot team. That means that the margins are are pretty fine. I mean, they could have very easily walked away with a point from that match. Absolutely, you're absolutely right. But at the same point, looking at the way the Red Bulls have played all season, I, and Jesse Marsh said it himself, so I don't think I'm too out of line. It was, it was definitely one of their worst performances of the year. Uh, the energy wasn't there. The uh, urgency that you usually see from this club wasn't there. And again, I think that partially has to do with fatigue. I don't think Jesse Marsh necessarily touched on that after the match, but you can't march out the same players all the time and uh, expect them not to run down just a little bit. I, I, look, when they came back from their break last week, uh, Jesse Marsh was running these guys into the ground. Uh, he's making fitness a central part of his, uh, of his strategy this week with uh, this year, excuse me, with the club. Uh, but they're, again, only human. I think some rest is needed here. And then you could judge how they do the rest of the way in the playoff run. Uh, right now, it's a, it's a tough opponent up ahead in, in uh, Portland. And we'll see how they adjust. There's going to be some new faces in that lineup. Uh, again, I'll reiterate, I think Bradley Wright Phillips needs to rest at this point. He's been scoring goals. He's been carrying teamers back at times. Uh, but there was definitely signs of fatigue against, against New England. And mm. if the Red Bulls are looking to make an impact this year, they're going to have to definitely take a rest now and look toward the long-term goals, and not just the short-term ones. Yeah, so it's it's... At Portland on Saturday, that's that's all the way back across the country. As he's mentioned, maybe Bradley mm-hmm. Wright Phillips needs a rest. McCarty's not going to be there. You mentioned somebody else on yellow cards. I apologize. Um, who was that? Connor Laid. Connor Laid. Okay, and he didn't play last mm-hmm. night. Correct. Mm-hmm. Okay, so we're going we're going to see you know we're going to see somebody step in. Is this a chance for for Gonzalo Verón to really make a mark? on this team? Are we going to see somebody like like maybe Sean Wright Phillips, who did come on as a substitute last night, but maybe gets a full run out? It, we'll, we'll see what happens. As you said, a difficult uh, a di- difficult task for New York uh, as they go to Portland to play their next match. Meanwhile, at Yankee Stadium, NYCFC with the, a 2 nothing win over Toronto, uh, Frank Lampard scores his first goal. Now, it wasn't the most pretty. It wasn't the prettiest goal I've ever seen. He didn't take the shot that well, but it found the back of the net. And that's all that matters right now. Absolutely. I hate to use another baseball analogy, but when, you, <laughs> when you're when you going on a hitless streak for a while, you get that one blooper that gets you on first base. <laughs> I think Lampard will take this blooper right now. That was, uh, it, was, uh, it was a good team moment, it, the way the buildup was done. Andrea Pirlo finding R.J. Allen, Allen with sort of a bicycle kick almost to put that, that, uh, that ball back in play, finding Lampard, and Lampard taking just enough of a good touch mm-hmm. to get it into the back of the net. It really set the tone for NYCFC the rest of the match. And then, again, at the end of the match, uh, speaking of the DPs, Andrea Pirlo again on the corner kick. What a pin-perfect pass from the corner to find Patrick Mullins for that header. And this is where, this, again, you look at the last match for New York City FC where the DPs were both subbed off, um, no David Villa. And this match, it seemed like both Frank Lampard and Andrea Pirlo were a bit more inspired, much more involved. 
and it showed in the match. It's the first time that I've seen NYCFC able to click in the midfield with those two players. You know, uh, the the Pirlo moments, the the pass to Allen, as you said, the the corner kick. He was he was pretty good. I mean, I saw him fighting. I think that you know, again, limited uh, limited attention given. But what I did watch, it seemed as though he's he's pretty intent on on holding the ball himself in midfield rather than using his teammates as outlets. Is that a you think that that's an intrinsic problem to him getting comfortable with this team? Because that's been an issue. I mean, he, it was fine last night. And he played very well, especially with his distribution. But he can't he can't be trying to fight off two three defenders. In, in his own half when he's got options. Sure. And, and you look at, uh, at that pairing that he had right now with Andrew Jacobson. I think the idea of Jacobson right now is to take on all that dirty work, which he did last night. I, you know, you have an unsung hero in this guy, Jacobson, who has uh, been asked to not only play his position, but really make up for the defensive deficiencies of an Andrea Pirlo, as strange as that may sound. But he has he has the pace to do it. He has the ability to do it. And uh, and Jacobson has been allowing Pirlo at least the last two games. Last game was a little rough, uh, but this match you're seeing an improvement in their in their communication and their chemistry. And it will allow Pirlo to hold the ball. It will allow him to spray out a bit more, which is the Pirlo that you want. Uh, fitting that again, this has been the question since Lampard has uh, come back to the club or come to the club. Excuse me. Uh, how do you fit Lampard and Pirlo into the same formation and remain lethal? I think a big part of doing that will fall on the shoulders of Andrew Jacobson, who has to remain that defensive rock in front of the center backs, in front of a defense that has been porous all season long, to achieve results like they did last night. It's not easy to repel an attack that has Giovenko, you know, Josie Altador, Michael Bradley. Each one of them had chances. Josh Saunders stood on his head, as he always does. Again, I'll say it, uh, I think team MVP all the way this year. But I think Andrew Jacobson is such a key player in that role as well. If he's able to destroy in the middle and allow Pirlo to play his game, you could see a different New York City FC team, a more lethal NYCFC team. Yeah, you know, um, I think as much as Lampard scoring and and Pirlo with an assist and, and Patrick Mullins, and we'll come back to Patrick Mullins, um, were important. What was maybe the most important thing for NYC was was keeping a clean sheet, and especially doing it with those weapons you said on the other side. Now that was as I think that's as much about Toronto being poor as TF as NYCFC being good. But considering sure. how how much struggle they've had with with their defensive setup, Dave, I imagine that that's a boost of confidence they need with five games left. And, and let's be honest, they're probably gonna have to win out to have a chance. That's it. They, they would have to win out, and, and uh, looking at the way they played yesterday, they're they're trying to make something of this season. You could tell there was a certain drive that hasn't been there over the last few weeks, and uh, a certain desire, in particular, again from DPS, uh, to to make an impact, to take the game to Toronto, and to take home points. So that, you know, you have to be encouraged if you're an NYCFC fan. If if you're seeing that what you saw yesterday, if that can be continued, then great. But again, playoffs are. Uh, I mean, really, a wish at this point. They're, they have, they would have to win out their last matches at this point. Uh, Montreal still has games in hand, so the road doesn't get any better for NYCFC. But at least they're showing a bit of fight this time. You, you know, um, so so this team is obviously, as you said, trying to make something of their first season. It's an uphill climb, even if they come up short. I think. You know, if they can get a couple of wins down the stretch, that's that's something to build on. Um, you know, um, there are people out there in the soccer community, uh, particularly Matt Doyle, who are uh, just 
bullish on the future of this team based on some of the young talent. I mean, we'll call, uh, this is an opportunity to talk about Patrick Mullins and his emergence down the stretch here. He got a little bit of a chance early in the year. He got pushed aside. Now Nemich is gone. Uh, clearly, David Villa is, is not 100% fit. Um, and, and has and has an injury now, and so that gives Mullen an opportunity. But there's talent there. We know about Poku. We know we know about um, Tommy McNamara. Th- there's something there. There there is something there in their youth, and you know people like to focus in on Poku. But I'm glad you said Mullins. Mullins has had great runs of play, great runs of matches with NYCFC earlier in the year. But again, due to their you know DP conundrum, they have so many options on DPs. They have high price players. These guys need to play. I'll even throw another name in there. R.J. Allen, who really was coming off of just being, I believe, a college coach before he was uh, with NYCFC. R.J. Allen has played very well in times he's had the opportunity. Uh, again, he's always going to be second in choice to Andonia Areola, which is understandable. You're paying the man. He's a veteran of La Liga. I get it. But there are some good contributors on this club. Patrick Mullins, as you said, Poku, uh, R.J. Allen, Shea Facey, if he sticks around next year, he's been a rock. He's been perhaps one of their, their biggest saving graces towards the end of the season, switching him over from the fullback to his natural center back position. He's been great. He's been a general. So there are good young players here, but having that balance between your high price players, your DPs, and those youth players, and putting them all into one squad, making everybody happy, including the people over in Manchester, it's a tough ask. And that's where I believe Jason Christ has been a bit handcuffed this year. If it was on merit alone, then you would be seeing Poku on more often. You'd be seeing Patrick Mullins more often. Kudos to the guys, though. Kudos to these young guys. When they get the opportunity to go out there, they are making an impact, and they're showing that there is deeper talent on NYCFC away from just DPs. It's just a matter of getting them all to work together in some form of a system and find success. Well, I hope that uh, you know when they do... Uh, uh, when they get to the end of the season and they have the debriefing and they talk with the the CFG officials um, about uh, where the direction of this club should go, that that Jason Christ is able to say, "Hey, look, I've got you know, I've got um, these guys. I've got Poku. I've got R.J. Allen. I've got uh, I've got Tommy McNamara. I've got Patrick Mullins. I've got Kyrie Shelton. Give me a chance with these guys. Give me first of all." Give me, uh, I'm Andrew Jacobson, unsung hero, fine, but you're going to have to improve that position if you're going to be a real threat next year. There sure. are a couple other spots in this team that, that obviously need some some bolstering. They're, they're, they're probably you know uh, two or three players away from really being a, a step above where they are this season. It, if that DP thing doesn't become an albatross around Jason Kreis's neck, Dave. But the other thing that's hanging over this club's head, and it was mentioned last night on the broadcast, uh, obviously this game on ESPN2, Taylor Twelman, um, and uh, why am I blanking on the... It doesn't matter. Adrian Healy. It was mentioned that the club hopes to be in their own place within five years. Now, I think the five-year five timeline is interesting for a couple of reasons. One... It's it seems a, like a long time, and and I would argue that it represents some sort of failure on the part of MLS and NYCFC. But it's also within a New York context, not a long time. Right, and under a New York context, that is uh, definitely a shorter amount of time than I would assume that they would have. Uh, I, there's a couple of options here. We've all heard now at, to this point that the uh, the club has been in some kind of conversation with Columbia about renovating their field. I, I think that's a, a long way away. Uh, however, if that does happen, that could put you within the five-year uh, time frame. 
outside of that, I mean, outside of uh, an idea of purchasing land from a commercial property that's zoned for sporting events, uh, there are so many intricate pieces that go into building in New York City, not just the stadium, anything, zoning, building laws, everything. I mean, you have to go through several hoops. So five years to me would seem a very reasonable time if you have found your ground, if you've found the place that you want to have your stadium, if you have a deal worked out, if you're ready to go through the EULA process, there's so many things that, are, that go with it. So if you have everything ready today, I can imagine a stadium being built in five years. Uh, unless NYCFC knows something that I do not, and I'm sure they know much more than I do at this, uh, at this point about their stadium situation, uh, I would find it almost impossible yeah. to build, again, as you said, uh, five years is a short amount of time in New York uh, when it comes to building. I, I would imagine that if they had a property now, we're ready to announce it and uh, and go through this entire process, that it would have to begin today mm. in order for a stadium to be there in five years. So, again, you can uh, you can hope for the best, but it would have to be a perfect storm. It would have to be perfectly zoned. It has to be a, a large swath of land, which is pretty hard to find in New York City, accessible to uh, transportation. There are several keys to making this a success. And unless they have some kind of uh, a magic parcel of land that none of us can identify at this point, I don't see how it's possible to build a stadium in New York in five years. Yeah, obviously, it's the scouting of the land. It's the price, well, the negotiating the purchase of land. Not necessarily the price for, for a group like City Football Group, but negotiating the purchase of that land. They don't necessarily have the backing of Mayor de Blasio, at least when it comes to any sort of breaks whatsoever, taxes, um, any rebates, anything like that. That's going to be a tough sell. And it's not that I think it's important for people, you know, we've seen bad stadium deals and we've seen localities get involved in the stadium building business and it not work out for them. I don't think that's the issue here. I think the issue is the red tape of just being in New York. Clearly, um, you have to line things up. We're talking about uh, union labor. I mean, all of these things matter. Sure. Zoning, as I said before, if you can't just build a stadium, I can't go to uh, somebody who owns a co-op complex, tell them, hey, here's $100 million for your co-op complex. I'm going to tear everything down and build a stadium. No, there's zoning. uh, There's community boards you have to get past. There's uh, regulations from there on out that you have to follow. There's approval on the local and the city and possibly state level, depending on what land you're looking at. It's an involved process, and there's a lot of bureaucracy, which is the way New York likes to do things. It's not that easy to build here. So if they have something in hand today, uh, yes, they can say in five years we'll have a stadium. If there's nothing lined up at the moment, then it's just a hopeful wish. Uh, there's, it, we've seen other teams struggle. We saw the Red Bull struggle for years to try to find any kind of interest in the city. Again, Major League Soccer has grown since then, so it's kind of hard to compare, but it was a window into the difficulty of building in the city. Uh, the New York Jets, who are, I mean, huge, the New York Giants, who are huge, couldn't get land in Manhattan at the time, land that was then needed redevelopment, uh, because the community stood up against it. Mm. Nothing comes easy when it comes to building in New York, and everything comes with handouts. I mean, you're, people are going to have their hands out for just about everything if you're offering to build in their neighborhood. You know, build me a community center, or fix my roads. Right. It's not that easy. So if they had land today, they're not talking about it possibly five years. If not, I just couldn't imagine. I couldn't yeah. imagine how they would be able to build a stadium in five years. And we go now we go all the way back to the genesis of this team and the fact that this is Don Garber's legacy in the balance for me. And, right. uh, you know, uh, well, those questions uh, at this point, the team exists. They got to make the best of a bad situation. I do think that it was probably folly to jump this, jump into this with two feet without really having anything lined up. But 
in terms of options, and, and this would be a failure for me because, again, they line themselves up as, uh, you know, five boroughs, one team, we're, we're New York's team, <laughs> a ground share with the Red Bulls. Is there any chance at all, Dave? Not at all. Uh, as a matter of fact, a rumor came up about a week and a half ago, two weeks ago. Uh, somebody on Twitter said, I have a good source, because everybody has sources nowadays, apparently. Uh, so it's my job to vet that and see uh, how, how clear those sources are. So um, somebody had said that there was a ground share in the works uh, for next season between both clubs. Uh, I texted over to a very good source, and I got in bold letters, LOL. Uh, <laughs> that, was, <laughs> that was the professional response I received. Uh, and as I started digging in a little bit deeper to talking to team officials on both sides, uh, there's no way. I don't think either either side is going to be looking at that uh, at all. Uh, if anybody's going to be sharing ground, at, as a matter of fact, I wouldn't say anybody would share ground at Red Bull unless you know the team got bought out somehow. Uh, it just wouldn't happen at all. Okay. Um, if you're in New York City, I feel you'll have to look at other areas, and uh, it, it wouldn't be Red Bull Arena. Could you imagine Giant Stadium going right back, or MetLife, excuse me, going right back to where you started with Metro Stars? It's, that would be an interesting situation. Well, you know, neither party might be willing to consider it. Certainly from a Red Bull's position, that's where the strength is. But this is a single entity operation, Dave. If Don Garber right. picks up the phone and says, hey, Red Bull's, you got to do this. This is, we're all in this together. It's one big company. I'm putting my foot down or the rest of the owners are pressuring that group. I wonder if it might come to that. Well, there's so much backroom uh, negotiation that happens in major league soccer to begin with. You know it as well as I do. Uh, so I'm sure money could be flashed uh, the Red Bulls way. Uh, enticing offers could be flashed the Red Bulls way. It would just have to be something so huge, so immense for uh, the Red Bulls to even consider it. And, you know, NYCFC would also have to be in a desperate way. Yankee Stadium hasn't been perfect. The fans have not necessarily been able to enjoy supporters' culture to the full as they do in regular supporters, uh, in regular soccer-specific stadiums. However, there hasn't been any pushback from the Yankees. There haven't been baseball issues. There haven't been divots in the outfield that have caused Yankee players to fall down and break their ankles. It's been a rather good relationship so far. No one's complaining on either end. And on the soccer end, you can definitely complain because those configurations are not necessarily the friendly at the Yankee Stadium. Uh, but everybody seems happy with what they have. The Yankees are bringing in more revenue by having 30,000 fans come. I mean, look at yesterday, 25,000 fans on a Wednesday night in New York. Uh, in the past, that was unheard of. But NYCFC continues to bring in revenue to that stadium. So... Both sides are happy with the arrangement for as ugly as the sight lines may be, for as bad as the presentation may be on, on television because of those sight lines. They're happy at Yankee Stadium. So looking at other alternative locations, at least this year and into next year, I don't see it being an issue for this team. Again, unless something dramatic happens. Uh, the idea, again, of a, of a stadium being built in five years, though, I would be a little apprehensive in, uh, in thinking that would happen. All right, Dave. Uh, last thing here before I let you go. We haven't had, don't have a lot of time to go into the state of the cosmos. I mean, they're doing what they're doing in the league, and, and they'll be in the playoffs uh, when that comes around. But we've, uh, we've obviously had all of this news about challenging U.S. soccer on their first division um, requirements and NASL being aggressive about trying to challenge MLS one day, et cetera, et cetera. The crux of the antitrust argument is that this – 
these divisional um, labels prevent NASL from being able to compete for things like uh, like investors and, and marketing money and that kind of thing. Have you heard anything around the cosmos sort of complaining uh, about how MLS and, and these uh, you know these uh, these exe- these the, basically the way MLS operates and the divisional uh, the divisional labels by U.S. Soccer have hurt their business. Of course, I mean you. I, I think I've had Silver say that on record uh, at times on on the OS. Uh, we've seen Bill Peterson say that, and it's just a reality of life. Um, just look at other sports in the country again. If you're trying to sell a advertising uh, to to anybody, if you're trying to get, bring in sponsors, if you're trying to do anything, you tell them that you're second best. They're not necessarily going to be looking to put their dollars into your product. That that that's what makes that's what makes life so hard for NASL right now. Is that they have to somehow entice people to uh, you know throw their money in on the league to uh, be a partner within the league, to bring in owners that are willing to work within the league's parameters, but understanding that they are labeled as a second division and that there is no changing that reality of life. Uh, this is a, the NASL is a league of independent teams that are looking, uh, for the most part, to, um, to work within a, within, a, uh, within a frame that they can succeed, invest as much money as possible, and entice the very best talents tough to do that when Major League Soccer is thriving the way it is. Mm. Uh, so to Bill Peterson's point or to Eric Stover's point with the Cosmos, yes, it makes it much more difficult when somebody's immediately telling you that no matter what you do with your product, you are second rate. Yeah. And that is what they're fighting right now. There's, um, there have been provisions, as you know, that have been changed in, in a year's time in order to really, there's no other reason other than to say that the NASL is just not at that level right when they're at the doorstep of achieving what was their first division status um, requirements. So there, there is, there's definitely tension there. There's been tension there. As you know, Jason, you've spoken to all the players as well uh, within this whole soap opera that is U.S. soccer and their, and their pyramid. Uh, NASL has no representation on the board. USL does. USL has tight relationships with Major League Soccer. It behooves the board, which is mostly MLS and USL controlled, uh, to continue that partnership and to help push each other up but where does that leave NASL? Yeah. That's, I think, the crux of it all right now, is that the NASL is second division. They have high aspirations. They want to bring in dollars. They want to bring in revenue. Uh, the label hurts them, and they're not able to grow past the level they want to. Dave Martinez, Empire of Soccer. Go follow Empire of Soccer on Twitter and uh, read Dave's stuff. It's uh, fantastic. Listen to Seeing Red right here on com. Dave, appreciate the time. Excellent as always, and we'll, uh, we'll have you back soon. Absolutely, my man. Thanks so much for having me on. There goes Dave Martinez. Good stuff from him. We'll step aside. When we come back, we'll shift to Europe. Talk to Luke Moore about the Champions League, the Premier League. It's Soccer Morning, WorldSoccerTalk.com. Welcome back to Soccer Morning on World Soccer Talk with Jason Davis. All right, we turn now to European topics. Champions League, group stage underway. Joining us now to talk about that and perhaps some Premier League as well. Lots of big matches coming up this weekend. Luke Moore from the Football Ramble. Hi, Luke. 
Hello, how are you? I'm doing well. How are you? Good. I'm very well, thank you. Yeah, not too bad. All right. So uh, you are, and this is uh, this is my standard uh, segue here. You're better than the English clubs in the Premier League outside of Chelsea. Uh, in the Champions League, excuse me, outside of Chelsea at this point. Uh, the narrative is the English teams are falling flat. Uh, maybe not time to panic yet, uh, but certainly it's interesting to see City, United, Arsenal all lose their first match. Yeah, I mean, I guess it, yeah, I think you're definitely right in saying that it's not, it's not time to panic just yet. I mean, obviously it's not an amazing set of, set of results for these teams, but I mean, it's very early stages. Chelsea put away a, a poor Maccabi Tel Aviv side, who I thought actually would be a lot better than they were. I mean, they've, been, they've been talked about as the best, one of the best teams in Israeli league football history. So, I mean, if that's the best they've got to offer, then I think they really are in trouble. Uh, that said, it can be daunting for these sides to go to these big English stadiums and stuff. And I guess that the occasion got to them and they eventually um, were heavily beaten. But, I mean, that would have been an opportunity for them. Chelsea haven't been in great nick at all, as we all know. So they're not going to really have had a better time to play Chelsea. No. Having said that, Chelsea made some changes, and I guess they're a bit like, well, the season started poorly. We need to get going at some point. This is a good place to start. So maybe there was an element of that to it. But um, other than that, yeah, it wasn't ideal, was it? It wasn't great at all. No, and you know, I think um, you know, for Manchester United, perhaps even more than the loss, uh, you know, you're 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 there in the Netherlands. There's all of the 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 background and the the, uh, the storylines with Louis van Gaal and everything else. But to lose Luke Shaw the way that they did is certainly the thing that that's going to impact them most from that match. Yeah, I mean, he's been one of their better performers this season. So from that point of view, from a footballing perspective, terrible. It's obviously terrible for the boy as well. He's only young and and he's been he's really starting to settle in at United and having a great time of it uh, after a fairly difficult start. Really sad for him. Um, apparently, the operation was a success and he should be playing in the six months, which is a miracle, really, given that maybe 15, 20 years ago, that's going to have ended his career. So, I mean, from that point of view, there are positives to take. The big issue is going to be a psychological one. I mean, because there's, there's certainly examples of players having difficult, um, really, really bad injuries and not being able to come back psychologically. But um, I think I tweeted earlier this week that he needs to take some um, comfort from the way Aaron Ramsey's bounced back from a really difficult broken leg and, and psychologically he seems the same player I mean he throws himself around he's still 100% uh, hands into tackles pretty committed uh, he's still that stuff <laughs> especially as Luke Shaw's a fullback excuse me so yeah it's difficult for them really really devastating for, for him but I mean he tweeted saying you know, he's in pretty chipper mood and that he's, he's looking forward to bouncing back and I'm sure he will um, but hopefully psychologically he can repair himself um, as well so uh, Manchester United losing to PSV uh, away from home, but Manchester City losing to Juventus. And look, Juventus is an, is an excellent side. No, There's no doubt about that. They did have a lot of turnover from the team that went to the Champions League final, Luke. Uh, but Manchester City should win that match. I, I, don't, I don't understand what this is that they have, this psychological problem in the Champions League. They've got to win it. Um, you've got to win your home games. You know, it's... It, it's it's as simple as that, really. And having said that, they lost a pretty appalling game. Was it mainly against CSK in Moscow at home last season? Mm, in the, um, I think that's right. Yeah. In, the, in the group stage, yeah. So, I mean, they've, they've clearly not really set the world on fire. I mean, they went through qualified as second place last time behind Bayern Munich. And they managed to beat Bayern Munich at home, didn't they, fairly famously. So, um, yeah, you've got to win your home games. You've been, I'll take your point about them turning over a lot of players, but they are still a good team. But again, having said that, they've had a poor start. Um, yes, so right. City really need to to, to to make that happen um, and they didn't do so they obviously went a goal ahead and then let's see it 
and that's going to be devastating for them psychologically as well because it's, it's a real moment in their back now. It really is. And, you know, we're, we're about eight seasons or so into the new ownership. At some point, they've got to start making moves in the Champions League. It's too early to say that they're not going to this season, season yet. I mean, it's too, uh, too early to panic. But, yeah, it's, it's, it's a poor result. And what is, and it's the latest poor result and what has been mm-hmm. a poor return for them in the Champions League overall. Well, I mean, you mentioned Juventus' poor, uh, poor start in, in the league. The, the, apparently, league form means nothing. I mean, n- not that Maccabi Tel Aviv is on the same level um, as, as a, man, a man City or anybody else, but, uh, you know, very well in the league, doing very well in the league, come into to, uh, Stamford Bridge, get walloped. Juventus, poor in Serie A, walks into the Etihad and beats the first place team. In the Premier League right now, I, I don't, mm. you know, it, it is it is sort of fascinating how uh, the Champions League can sort of toss some of those things out the window. Yeah, I mean, the problem for, for City is that they keep getting drawn <clears throat> in fairly tough groups because they keep not winning their group. They didn't win their group last season. Um, they need to start winning groups and, and getting deep in the competition um, so they can start getting better seedings and all that other good stuff which then makes it easier, makes their path easier. That said, there are a lot of good teams in the Champions League. I mean, it's not... I was just looking through the groups. Yeah, it's, it's, not, it's not easy. Do you know what I mean? It's, it's not supposed to be easy. But, and, and, and part of the reason they hired Pellegrini in the first place is because he had this good record of doing decent things and punching above his weight in the Champions League, and it's just not manifested itself with City yet. Um, you'd expect them to get past Sevilla and, uh, and Madrid Gladbach, I think. But then you've got to, uh, Essentially, because they've lost the home game against Juventus, it's unlikely to suggest they're going to win the away game, which then means they're going to come second in their group which then obviously means they're probably going to get a difficult team in the knockout stage first round. So, yeah, that really was an important game for them uh, on Tuesday night. And they've, not, they've come up short again. Um, and I don't know whether they're going to need to get a real top manager before they actually sort of start fulfilling their potential. Arsenal uh, loses to uh, Dinamo Zagreb um, yesterday. Uh, Olivier Giroud, obviously, the heel for, uh, for Arsenal, picking up the second yellow and, and putting his team down a man. Is it is it as easy as that? They they lost Giroud because he was just. Uh, I guess the first one was for descent, and the second one, you can't really kick a guy in his ribs. Uh, how else do you explain Arsenal's uh, failure? Uh, I can't really because I have to confess I haven't seen that game. I watched okay. the Chelsea game yesterday. And I haven't had a chance to catch catch up Fair on enough. it yet. Fair enough. Fair um, enough. So it would be unfair for me to to dish out the same old Arsenal business. Yeah. Although I suspect that probably is the case, Jason. But I don't want to say it without <laughs> seeing the facts sure. myself. Sure. So maybe I can talk about that with you next time. No, it, it's fair. Um, you know, there's there's obviously a lot of football here to try to process. Um, you know, mm. Arsenal though losing. Um, you know, and and Denver, it's not that that's a difficult away fix or an easy away fixture. It it does present its challenges, but I think that uh, you know for Arsenal, so much can come from one one slip that, that they they tend to their problems tend to snowball and now they have Chelsea. Well, here's what I will say about it. Here's what I will say about it, Jason. I mean, let, let, let's be let's be fair. I'll tell you what I do know. What I do know is Dynamo Zagreb are a team who are used to success in their own country, um, and they would have played some decent teams um, to get to where they've got to. You know, and they're and they're playing at home. So from that point of view, I mean, they've, they've beaten a fairly poor team uh, in the qualifying playoff. Um, but they beat him well. I mean, they won the, the, I'm pretty sure they won the, the home leg 4-1. Mm-hmm. Um, so this is a team who's used to winning, especially at home. Mm-hmm. Um, if Arsenal go on a fairly long trip um, after a, you know, what, what is a difficult game in the league, ahead of another difficult game in the league, because they play Chelsea at the weekend, as we know, uh, and take it lightly and aren't on their game and aren't sort of all at 100%, 
there's a chance they'll get beat. Mm-hmm. I, you know, so, so it's not a complete surprise it's going to happen. Once I watch the game back, I'll know exactly what I feel about how it happened and why it happened. But at the moment, I don't know that. But they do need to realise that you know, going away to these, t- to these sides, it's not going to be easy. Um, and you'd think by now that Wenger and Arsenal would have learned their lesson on that front. Um, but the facility of, of a Wenger team in, in these types of occasions is a consistent problem. Mm-hmm. And any Arsenal fan will tell you that's consistently been the case. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think the next they're at home to Olympiacos, which they're going to have to win. I mean, they need to get their, their season up and running in Europe. Um, and you'd fancy them to do so against Olympiacos at home, I think, because um, they were absolutely battered by Bayern Munich um, last night. So, yeah, let me watch you back. I'll let you know. But until then, it's probably just more frustration for yeah. Arsenal fans, and, and they're wondering uh, when it's going to end. I will say, Dino Zagreb has a fantastic crest. I love their crest. Anyway, let's um, let's move <laughs> on to the to the weekend in the Premier League. As you mentioned, difficult uh, difficult challenge for Arsenal. Now they go and take on Chelsea, and and I guess the question will be for Chelsea is whether or not that Champions League win over Maccabi Tel Aviv is the the, the launching pad for getting their Premier League uh, run back on track. Yeah, it's interesting, isn't it? I'm, I'm, gonna, I'm, I'm especially interested in what they're going to do team selection-wise. Yeah. So they obviously changed a few players around last night. Um, are they going to change it back? Is he going to keep faith with the players in the league who haven't really done an awful lot for him so far? Is he going to go with the team as much as he can? Which I know William went off injured last night. Yeah. Is he going to go with the team as much as he can um, that played last night? We don't know. So we'll have to wait and see what happens there. Um, this, is a, this is, for me, this is a typical... I can't, I can't quantify this, and I can't tell you specifically why, but this is the sort of game that Chelsea will win. Arsenal will go to Stamford Bridge um, confident of getting a result and any Arsenal fan will tell you this will be a, this will be a typical Arsenal and they'll get beaten by Chelsea at Stamford Bridge. I'm fairly certain of that. Well, are, we gonna, are we going to see a, a replay of uh, it was the Community Shield in, in which we had the, the back and forth between uh, Wenger and, and, and Mourinho over, over style choices because clearly uh, Wenger has decided that he is not necessarily going to just go after a Chelsea team, he's going to, to be a little bit more pragmatic, or he did in that match anyway. Are we going to see something like that? We have seen, that's a fair point, we have seen that. We saw him do it away to Man City as well, didn't we? Yeah. Um, he, he has shown that he can be a little bit more pragmatic. Um, it remains to be seen, but that's another reason why it's going to be an interesting game, for sure. Um, and, and Chelsea have been so poor. I mean, they've been so poor. Even, even the game um, against Tel Aviv, I mean, the, the penalty has asked it was absolutely ridiculous. No, you can't ever imagine them doing that last season. There's clearly something afoot at that club. I just don't know whether Arsenal can take advantage of that. I think there are a lot of clubs that can. I don't know if Arsenal are one of them. Um, and tactically, Wenger will maybe do something a bit different, maybe play a little bit more conservatively and see if he can beat them in a different way. Um, but they would have taken confidence from that from that European result, Chelsea. Mm-hmm. And Wenger, um, then Mourinho absolutely loves beating Wenger, doesn't he? So, I mean... There's a lot of things to think about. It's a tough one to call, but I would suggest Chelsea will win that game. Mm. Uh, let me let me turn to the Europa League. That's uh, those games coming uh, going off in a couple of hours today. Um, we've got Liverpool at Bordeaux, and so much pressure on Brendan Rodgers. I mean, they can't look ahead uh, to the weekend necessarily, despite the fact they need to to, to improve their league form. Uh, he's he needs to win this match too. I mean, what, how does how does Rodgers go about juggling? What is the obviously the secondary European competition, not where Liverpool wants to be, and the Premier League, where you know there's a challenge just to be uh, relevant again. Yeah, they need to take it seriously. I mean, they need to they need to just just take it as it comes and, and try and and try and win the competition. I mean, the, the problem is they look horrendously imbalanced to me. 
they lose a couple of players and they look like nowhere near the team they can be. Bordeaux started the season in a pretty average fashion. I mean, they've won only won one, I think. But having said that, they've only lost one as well, and that was on the first day of the season. So they're not in terrible nick. Um, Liverpool, I mean, it's, it's a weird. So if you, if you, let me put it in, in perspective for you. So when Rodgers came in, he got rid of Andy Carroll straight away because it's not the sort of player he wanted. Right. Yeah, he's not a player who fits into his system. Then he goes out of his way to find ben, by Ben Teke, even though they've never played in a style that would, would sort of necessitate a player of that of that calibre or of that style. So it's it's a really strange one. I sometimes think that Brendan Rodgers is a bit of a bluffer. Like he doesn't really know what he's doing. But then he goes on a massive run where they'll just have an amazing run of results. Um, but they looked horrendously imbalanced. They don't look anywhere near the team they should do. There's been questions being asked of Rodgers in the press here. Um, I'm not sure if you've had that over your side of the pond about whether this is another transition season for Liverpool. And to be fair to Rodgers, to his credit, he said, well, we can't afford another transition season, sure. which I agree with. Yeah. But they don't look like a team anywhere near built sort of in a balanced way and in, in, in a fashion that will suggest they can win anything this season, with the, with the exception of possibly one of the cups if they get a bit of luck. They just don't look like a team set up to do anything. It's, 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 it's a really weird one. And, and then they, they, and when you chuck into the mix the fact that they are capable of just putting out absolutely stinking results where nothing goes well for them, and they can't even do basic things correctly, and like at home to West Ham, which was one of the worst Liverpool performances of recent years, um, it does make for a pretty heady mix. And I think Rogers knows that um, if he's not, if his head's not on the block at the moment, and I don't think it is. And the time may well be drawing in. It's, it's always it's it's not just about him and his performance. Obviously, that re- has to reach a certain standard. It's also about the appetite of the ownership to make another change. I mean, they put all of their eggs in the Brendan Rodgers basket. Uh, Fenway Sports Group are they are do they have the appetite to to hit the reset button again? I think possibly if they can convince Jurgen Klopp to go there, hmm. which I think, given the size of club that Liverpool is. And given that Klopp said he wants a break and he wants to get back into management, and he's known to be um, he's known to be a fan of the Premier League. Um, I think that could possibly force, not force, but convince the owners' hands to make a change. Um, I wasn't impressed with Liverpool against Man United. I clearly wasn't impressed with them against West Ham because no one was. They were good for periods against Arsenal. Um, they were fairly lucky against Bournemouth and they got a good result against Stoke on the first day of the season, um, especially given what happened last time they went to Stoke. So it's been a real mixed bag at best. Mm-hmm. Um, they need to start getting results. I mean, it's as simple as that. I know it sounds pretty basic, but that is essentially the size of it. Mm. Um, and I think when you've got a manager like um, Klopp, who's essentially going to become available at some point, he will fan- I, think, I personally think he will fancy that, that Liverpool job. It's a massive job. It's a big club that hasn't fulfilled its potential recently but could become massive again. It could be, it could be a real contender. They, they, they've definitely got, um, presuming that the stadium comes through for them at some point, they've definitely got the infrastructure and the history and the, yeah. and the size to, mm-hmm. to, to maintain a Champions League position consistently. And essentially, with the right uh, mix, they could win titles You because know, Klopp's shown that he can do that um, with the club uh, who are hugely financially um, worse off than Bayern Munich. And so there's no reason he can't do it at Liverpool. Yeah. Now, there's certainly shades of Dortmund um, with Liverpool's situation at the moment, so maybe that attracts someone like Jurgen Klopp. All right, finally, uh, Luke, before I let you go, the state of Manchester United right now, obviously we talked about the loss to PSV and losing Luke Shaw. They're, third play, they're sitting third place at the moment. They've got, um, uh, who do they have on the weekend? Uh, Southampton on, on Sunday. Yeah. How, Sunday, yeah. how do you feel about Louis van Gaal's uh, program at the moment? I feel that he 
again, it's a difficult one to call. I feel like he's, he's, he's spent a lot of money, as he clearly has, and he's got a, he's put some players together. But I still don't feel like he properly um, has a balanced team. Really, I still feel like I've never I can't really think of a team who've spent so much money and bought so many players that still look a bit short in more than one department. Uh-huh. If, that, if that makes sense, and no, um, they're clearly in decent areas where they can. They can compete. I mean, the the higher thing is a massive bonus for them. They're, they're going to. I mean, he's going to be. Looks like he's going to be motivated and playing for at least, uh, whatever it is, October, November, but at least four months or so. I mean, he may go in January, I suppose. But I mean, he might. They might keep him to the end of the season. That's a big plus for them because Romero's been a bit hit and miss. Shaw will be a miss. He's been one of the standout players from this season. Rooney remains a bit of a conundrum. They've got strength and depth in midfield. Um, I like Darwin at right back. I think he's a good player. And they've still got to find that balance of those attacking midfield players. And Memphis has obviously had a bit of a sputtering start, but you can tell he's going to do something. And then the emergence of Martial is, is, a, is a plus for them. He looks like he plays without fear. He looks like the the, the, um, the pressure of playing at Old Trafford doesn't seem to have affected him so far on its early days. But So they had a lot to be positive about. I don't know whether they can overhaul the points deficit they suffered last season from the teams who, who, who were challenging for the title. Um, but we'll see. I mean, it's, it's, it's very early to say. Don't really like to look at. Graham Sunes used to say, um, "Don't look at the table till Christmas." Yeah. But of course, you can't really get away with that when you're when you're talking about football for a living. So you have to look at it. But um, I think it's very early to talk about that at the moment. Luke Moore from the world famous Football Ramble. It's Lukey Moore on Twitter. You're probably following him already. If you're not, you'll do so. Luke, um, thanks for the time, and um, we'll be talking to you in the in the future. I'm sure as the uh, season unfolds, the Champions League gets deeper. And deeper, and the English teams continue to fail because that's just the narrative. <laughs> Thanks for having me on. Appreciate it. Cheers, there goes, uh, goes Luke. Good stuff from him. As always, unfortunately, we've gotten word that the phone lines are not going to work today. So we will not be opening phone lines on a Thursday. I apologize very much for that. Hopefully we get back uh, full strength tomorrow. In the meantime, what I will tell you is that you need to go to backhill.com and check, out, check that out. Uh, we are currently in a holding pattern I'm not going to tell you people to buy stuff because we're in a holding pattern right now on some stuff. We're trying to fill some, well, we, our, 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 um, our partner is trying to fulfill some back orders after uh, having some problems. So anybody out there who has purchased a T-shirt and not gotten it, I, I ask you very not, I've asked you very much to be patient with us. It's not something we are in control of. Uh, we are working as hard as we can to make sure that you guys are happy. It's just uh, the state of things at the moment. All right. I also want to mention, um, and I haven't even talked to Trevor about this, so it's going to be new to him. I'm trying to find out if anybody is interested in watching USA-Mexico with me on October 10th in the D.C. area, more than likely in the city. If you're from Washington, live around the area, or maybe will be in D.C. on October 10th, let me know. I'm going to try to find one spot where Soccer Morning fans can all gather. There's the AO party I don't really want to step on the toes of, of AO. They're going to do their own thing. It's going to be a madhouse over there. Let's do our own thing. Let's get together, have some beers, and watch the USA play Mexico uh, at the Rose Bowl in Pasadena. All right. Um, is there anything else I'm missing? No? At uh, Soccer Morning on Twitter. Wait, ratings and reviews over at iTunes. I don't know what our number is, but I feel like it's small. want to improve our number. And uh, that's it. I think that's going to do it. Thanks a lot, guys. Apolo- again, apologies for... For the uh, phone situation, hopefully we get that rectified tomorrow, technology and the like. That's it. Thanks to Dave Martina. Uh, Dave Martinez, thanks to Luke Moore. We'll talk to you tomorrow. Bye. Did my invitations disappear? What I-
I put my heart on every cursive 